this morning, this is Palm Sunday. And if you don't even be at church for very long at all or at all, you know about Palm Sunday. It's like you'll see the little palm leaves everywhere. I'm wearing green for that whole, you know, being in the same theme of Palm Sunday. I was going to get some background, so it's the little palm leaves, but they all look cheesy. So, um, but this is the, the, the week, but maybe you don't know what that's all about. So if you will, turn your Bibles with me to Zechariah. It's in the Old Testament. So go to Psalms and take a right. And we're going to look at chapter 9, verse 9. So Zechariah 9, 9. And if you don't have it, it's going to come up here on the screen. And this is where it was actually prophesied. This is hundreds of years before Jesus was on the scene. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So this is a prophet, and if you don't know what prophets are, it's, it's like in the the vernacular, the world that we would see, it'd be like a psychic kind of thing. So there is the foretelling of the future. And, and psychics can be real because the devil is real and the devil knows what's going to happen on some things because of what comes out of your mouth. Whole nother subject. But then there's also God who knows everything from the beginning to the end, from the end, from the beginning. He knows absolutely everything about you. So he will give you a hint as to what's going to happen. I'll just bring back to your remembrance that we had a prophecy for this church 18 months ago that God was going to have a building turned over to us and we were going to merge with another church and we were going to have a partnership with them and that was what God's plan was for us and not to be scared of it when it came. It's crazy. And here we are, we're sitting in this building 18 months later. So here we see the prophet hundreds of years later, not 18 months, but hundreds of years earlier, he's describing, look, your king is coming to you and he'll be riding on a donkey. Now we jump to the New Testament, Mark chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures here. We're reading the story. So we're going to let the scripture tell the story instead of me trying to recreate it. As they approached, as the disciples and Jesus approached Jerusalem, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite to you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there, and one which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. To bring it here. Now, doesn't that sound like some southern person? Go down past the corner store... At the big oak tree, turn right. I mean, can you imagine the directions? Go into town, and as soon as you get there, turn, and you're going to see there's a colt tied there, and no one has ever sat on. Verse 3, if anyone says to you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. Then he went away then they went away, sorry, and found a colt tied at the door outside the street, and they untied it. It happened just like Jesus said. So some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus said, and they gave them permission. Remember, Jesus said, the Lord has need of it. That's the title of our message this morning. The Lord has need of it. They brought the colt to Jesus, and they put their coats on it, and he sat down on it. And as they spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, palm leaves, which they had cut from the fields, they, those who went in front of him 
And those who were following were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. I'm going to jump right ahead here a little bit. It's, I'm, tr- I'm trying not to jump ahead. I want to just like throw on the gas. But look at this. Blessed is the coming kingdom. This is what the people are saying. They're crying out. This is our answer. Now, Again, I'm like so far ahead of myself in my notes, but I've just got to jump in here and tell you that their whole livelihood as the children of Israel, their history lesson, if they've studied it, they've had periods of time where they followed God and everything was right. And then they didn't follow God and things went bad and they ended up in captivity. And they would be there for a bunch of years, bunch of years, and then they would start living right, and God would deliver them. We know the whole story of Moses and Egypt, and, you know, let my people go. They're in there. God does this whole crazy thing. I mean, who hasn't seen Moses on TV? Okay, we know that little story, the, the sea opening up. God does these great, you know, grandiose things. So then they'll go, and they'll live right there, and then they'll fall into captivity again because they don't make the right choices. And there's always a deliverer that God sends to save them, and it takes them out of the physical captivity they're in. How many of you know when they left Egypt, they left all the the hard taskmasters of Egypt. They're beating them terribly. That's what they're looking for. They're saying, yay, it's happening again. Can you imagine? They've heard the stories all throughout their lives. Now, they're in captivity. They're living free, but they're living with the Romans ruling over them. So they can't go and do what they want. They can't worship exactly like they want. They've got some freedoms, but it's not what they want. And they're, they're crying out not to be taxed so hard from the Romans. And here they are. Jesus is coming in. He's identifying himself as the Son of God. They see miracles. They've seen all of these different things. In fact, in a moment, we'll see in the scripture. They're excited. People are coming to Jerusalem just to see Lazarus because they heard the story of him being raised from the dead. They're coming for Jesus and they're saying, Great, this is it. He's our guy. He's going to be the one who throws off the Roman government and we're going to finally be a, a nation again, just like it's happened every other time in our history. From a different perspective, the book of John, chapter 12, verse 9, the large crowd of Jews, when they learned that he was care there in Jerusalem, they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they may also see a Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. See, they're like, I want to see the dead guys walking. And how many of you know that's like a pretty good thing? If we had a dead guy that got raised here, everybody would want to come see him too, okay? That's not something that's just for them. That'd be like, this is pretty cool, okay? The original walking dead. Anyway, but I'm boom. Verse 10. But the chief priest planned out to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So now here, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Now we saw the backstory where... Um, the one disciple shares about going and getting the, the donkey, the colt. And here we see the different side of it. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to, to Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. 
See, they're saying they're deliverer. Now, in this version, they're saying he's the king of Israel. They're trying to ascribe to him the physical power, the physical authority of, you're going to get rid of the Romans, and we're going to finally be able to be ourselves again. Jesus, finding a a young donkey, sat on it, as is written, here's going back to Zechariah, fear not, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things the disciples, his disciples, did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified after the resurrection, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people were all with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. So they're all, we've got this huge like flurry, just all this stuff, the sensation about Jesus is coming in. Now, can you imagine? They're just going and chopping off palm trees and just throw the branches, the big palm fronds, and they're throwing them down, they're holding them up. And this is this, this huge thing because this is their deliverer. This is an election. This isn't me, I hope my guy wins versus your guy wins, or woman, or however you want to say that. This is, someone's going to come and deliver us and the whole nation rallied together for Jesus. They thought he was coming to Jerusalem to set up a new physical kingdom. But he wasn't. He was setting up a spiritual kingdom. And we'll see that in just a moment. So here, understand the, the, the crux of where they have this conflict going inside of them. This, they're completely, 100% committed to this is their answer. <laughs> so Judas betrays Jesus. I'm cutting through the story here to get to the next verse and to the point of my message. J- Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. Isn't that one of the worst things? I mean, betray him with a, you know, a high five or something, but not a kiss. I mean, something so intimate. But that's what he chose to betray Jesus with. And the soldiers came and, and got him, and they're pulling him away. In verse 49 of Luke 22, from another perspective, they're all upset. Now, when the other disciples, what was about to happen, they're arresting Jesus. They're taking Jesus away. Okay, they're putting him in handcuffs and dragging him away. So they got the SWAT team out there. They got everything going on here. And when the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought our swords. Isn't that funny? It's like, Jesus, I got my gun. You want me to help you out of here? Isn't that funny? They're ready to fight. Like, okay, well, it's, I guess it's gonna, he's not going to become the king without a fight. So here we are. We brought our swords. Isn't that crazy? Now, who would bring their swords to church? I hope none of y'all brought your swords to church this morning, right? Hey, if you're a true Texan, you probably got a knife, a pocket knife that'll work as a sword. But, you know, here they are. I just find the humor in this as I'm studying this. Like, hey, we've got our swords, Jesus. You want us to fight for you? And then one of them, we know it was Peter, struck at the high priest's slave, and he slashed off his right ear. So he's like, I got my sword, whack, and the ear just lops off. Now, can you imagine being that guy? I mean, he's just there serving a warrant. He's just doing what he was told to do, and here this preacher's you know, people that are following him, the people are just supposed to be on his staff, he pulls out a knife and cuts him, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Slashing off his right ear, but Jesus said, no more of this. And he picked up the man's ear and he healed him. 
Now, can you imagine that man? That man who is not probably prone to being a religious person because he's in the army, he's in the, you know, being a police officer, being a, you know, I'm, you know, this guy, and he's not like going to church every time the doors are open kind of guy. And here he is, and then his ear gets lobbed off by one of the guys, and the guy you're arresting reaches down and picks your ear up and puts it back and heals you? Can you imagine what God did in his heart? Jesus continues, verse 69. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. So Jesus is trying to get through to them. You guys aren't getting it. This isn't for here and now. Something much bigger is at work here. See, all the other times in their history, they'd rise up, they'd be serving God. They'd fall down, they'd go in captivity. They'd rise up, they'd serve God, they'd fall down, they'd be in captivity. It's this roller coaster if you read all the history of Israel. Having you know, I'm the same way. I've got good times with God and I've got down times. Like, okay, God, I really need you. I really messed up. I'll be really, really good and then I'll mess up. I'm no different than Israel. I'm not throwing any stones their way. But Jesus says, I don't come for the roller coaster. He says, I'm coming to set up something new. I'm coming to give you a new economy, a new lifestyle, a new kingdom. Not like you think of a kingdom. But one in which if you walk into it, you don't have to do the roller coaster anymore. Because what I'm going to do when I get crucified on that cross in a couple of days is going to pay for everything you ever do in the rest of your life. So no matter what you do dipping down, I am still there for you. That's the greatest news in the world. See, Jesus being crucified was life-changing. Everybody in the world knows about it. We still serve still celebrate a holiday surrounding that. The entire world does. 2,000 years later. But it wasn't just the impact it made on the world. It's the impact it made on me. God saved me. The new kingdom is spiritual. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, from now on, it hadn't even happened yet. They're still celebrating. Then they're in the, the, uh, the garden and they're trying to arrest Jesus. He hasn't even been taken before the judge. And he's saying, from now on. And it's true. An interesting side note of this is Jesus ended his ministry the same way he started it off. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Matthew 4, verse 3 we see Jesus is out in the desert when he just got baptized. He immediately goes into the, the desert for 40 days of prayer and fasting with his father. And as he's in there, the devil comes to him and starts trying to tempt him and say, if you are the son of God, turn these stones and make them bread. Now, how many of you know when you've been fasting for 40 days and you're thinking about some bread, 
my daughter and I were in California this week, and we were so hungry. We couldn't, we hadn't eaten in the plane, and we got to the hotel, and we weren't sure where we were going to be able to find a place to eat. And we got there, and they had this panini bread, and it was just like, just give me some bread, okay? You can take your time on the other food, just give me some bread. And they did, and it was really yummy. But he's saying, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, he's pushing Jesus into the corner saying, hey, why don't you prove it? Because if you are, then this should be nothing for you. Why don't you do that? Why don't you do this? And Jesus answered him, you know, you shouldn't tempt the Lord your God. Now here at the very end, he's naked, hanging on the cross. He has just breathed the last words. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. In Luke 23, 35, it says, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others. They said, let him save himself, if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. Isn't it interesting? He started off his ministry saying, oh, if you really are God, and it ends the same way. Right before he breathes his last breath, they're saying, now, if you really are the Christ, then you'll save yourself. But can I tell you, God doesn't need to prove himself. Jesus didn't need to prove himself to the devil or to all those people. Now, we think, right? I I think, I won't say we, I'll leave you guys to make your own decisions. I think, how amazing it would have been. Jesus is up there on the cross. He's about to die and lightning. 10,000 angels like, you know, I mean, can't you see the the ground thundering? And then the nails going, and Jesus is like, just kind of sets down, right? I mean, wouldn't that be like amazing? When you go, that's just great. Where's Steven Spielberg to record this? I mean, wouldn't this just be amazing? How many more people would have believed that that had happened, right? But that does nothing for me because I wasn't there. Jesus was more concerned about me today, you today, every other person in the last 2,000 years, and those yet to come. He wasn't worried about making this big, spectacular event. I have a friend who asked me a few months ago when I was traveling. I've known this person for about 23 years. And she says, you know, I've got you. I can ask you some questions now. So what makes this Jesus thing, the real thing. Because there's all these other religions, there's all these other denominations, there's all, these, there's all of these other choices. How do you know? How do you know that this is the one? And I said, well, you know, I said, the interesting thing is that even if I don't take the Bible's account, if I take the Bible and just push it off to the side, There's so many historians all throughout the years who have documented everything that happened. Josephus wasn't a man of the Bible. He's not in the Bible at all. He was a historian from that time. He recorded and documented everything that happened on this week. He says there was close to 3 million people that came to Jerusalem for the Passover that were there at the crucifixion. 
You see, some of those people were sitting at the foot of the cross, seeing Jesus walk through, and it's just another execution. They had no idea what was going on. Other people were sitting there going, this is the guy I put all my faith in. He healed my daughter. He healed my husband. My brother was the guy who dropped down through the roof. My, the centurion's like, you healed my daughter, and you wouldn't even come to my house hanging on the tree shamed others question how can this even be I told my friend so you can go to the grave of any of the other people and you're going to find bones if you go to Jesus' grave which is possible you can go in there and you can see how they cut out the end to make room for his feet you see the place where he was and he's not there not because the Bible says so only does but because the other historians throughout time have recorded it now my question for you today is what will be our attitude this week of remembrance When you know what happened on Friday night, 2,000 years ago, when you think about all the fun that happened on today, the Palm Sunday, the celebration, and our king is coming. He's here. Let's all just chop down some trees and let's lay out the ground so he's walking. This is a big celebration to know what's going to happen on Friday. They didn't. What will our attitude be this week? You know, other denominations, other religions, you know, like Catholicism, for example, they do a really good job of remembering this whole week. They've been in Lent for 40 days, not eating whatever they're giving up. We do 21 days of fasting, they're doing 40. Okay, they're beating us. They'll have the great thing that's going on Wednesday, and then they'll have the other things going on Thursday, and then there's Good Friday, and then there's the thing on Saturday, and then Sunday. Man, we should do a better job of remembering what God has done, which is why we're going to have a Good Friday service. We're going to have communion where it's not just trying to get everybody through it and peel the, cat, the thing off the top and eat the little piece of bread. We're going to have real bread that we're going to break, Okay? We're going to have some real juice that we're in little cups and we're going to work all that out. But we're going to spend a little bit of time. I need to feel the full emotion of what God did for me, what Jesus did for me. Because if it just turns into Easter eggs and bunnies, that's terrible. You know, some people, as I grew up, we weren't even allowed to say Easter. It's like we're going to completely throw that whole thing, and I know all the Easter comes from the pagan goddess Ishtar, and I understand all of that and the fertility and all that stuff, and it's Resurrection Sunday. But I want us to focus on what happened this week. This week shouldn't be like every other week. This Wednesday shouldn't be like every other Wednesday. This Thursday shouldn't be like every other Thursday. This Friday. There's a reason why a lot of the world 
gives us as a holiday, a day off. It shouldn't be the same. But now why did God go through all this? Why did Jesus go off through all this? We come back to one of my favorite scriptures that we're founding our church on, John 3, 17. For God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Everyone knows John 3, 16. Leave this up, Jesse. For God sent his son that whosoever and the whosoever is this, the one, the line one-on-one. But then we see the save the world. See, Jesus' focus was bigger than just making this big scene. But that word literally means saved. It means safe or well. It means cured. It means to get well, preserved, to recover, to restore or to be saved. Is it possible that God sent his son into the world to usher in a new kingdom? One where when you follow Jesus, there's no more of this ups and downs. But it's a place where you can live safe, you can live well, you can recover from everything that's bothered you in your past, and you can be restored. So what can we do to advance this new kingdom? I have a short video I want you to watch. Okay, here's the question. Do you believe you have a personal responsibility to share your faith? Surveys have shown that the overwhelming majority of you would answer yes. Okay, so what about this question? Have you shared your faith with anyone in the last six months? Surveys have shown that a majority of you would answer this question no. I guess it's just not as easy as it seems, or at least as easy as we'd like it to be. Well, here's another question. How many times have you personally invited an unchurched person to church? Now this seems simple, right? And yet, surveys tell us that almost half of you would answer zero. I mean, there are lots of reasons why we don't, right? Like, Maybe it still feels a little awkward and uncomfortable. Or maybe we're just unsure how effective it is. Or we just expect to hear them say, well, no. Okay, so listen to this. When people are asked why they came to church in the first place, the vast majority of them say, I began attending because someone invited me. It wasn't the music or the pastor. It wasn't the childcare the youth program, or the building. Although these are all great things, important and valuable things, the main thing that got most of you up and through that door the first time wasn't any of these. It was an invitation. Easter will be here soon. It's the perfect Sunday to share with others what your faith is all about. And it can all start with one more simple question come to church on Sunday. Let's change the stats and let God change hearts and lives this Easter. And let's start with something simple. An invitation. Isn't that good? Let's bow your heads with me if you will.
is today the day for a new decision? Is today the day that you look at this week different? Can today be the day you receive everything Jesus did for you? Is today the day you'll accept Jesus? Is today the day you'll come back to Jesus? Or is this the week and the day that you invite someone to come? Father God, I just ask you for everyone in the sound of my voice, everyone in this room, everyone watching on the stream, everyone who will watch the video in the weeks to come, everyone who will listen to the MP3. Father God, that we'll be challenged by these words. But not just hear our message and walk out. But Lord, that we'll look at this week different. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. So much bigger than our church, than our seats, than our anything. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray.